Hello, everyone, and welcome to Exploring Middle Earth. Hello. Hello, my name's Jay. Seated to my right is Grant. Hello. Is He's also the other voice on yes. this podcast. Yep, that's me. Um, welcome back to our Lord of the Rings uh, deep dive. Yeah. We... Uh, if if the, if you're new here, go check listen to the previous episode, because you're getting in a little late to the party. Yeah, a little bit late. Um, unless you are just wanting information on chapters three and four, we're doing <laughs> a deep dive on chapters three and four. Three is company and a shortcut to mushrooms. Oh yeah, those great. are like some of the best chapters. Yeah, they're great chapters. They're they're the slow walking chapters, but they're great chapters. Awesome. Well, we can dive right on in. Do you want to yep. dive right on in? Yep. How about it? Okay, so I'll start off with a summary of chapter three. Um, so chapter at the uh, just to refresh the end of chapter two, Gandalf tells Frodo how powerful the ring is yeah. and his concerns, and then Sam comes in or he pulls Sam in and he's like, "Sam, you got to go with Frodo." And then boom, <laughs> that's the end of chapter two. So we pick it up. There you go. Gandalf leaves the Shire uh, to look into some troubling news he's heard. Uh, and then Frodo prepares to leave, but he's taking his time. He he doesn't realize how urgent uh, the matter is. Yeah. And like we mentioned last time, or in the last episode, um, in the movies it seems like it goes really fast, but in the books it's um, there's a few years that take place, or there's years that take place in between the party, or Bilbo's yeah. party, and Frodo actually leaving. Quite a few years. Yeah. And then also there's a long time between Gandalf. Uh, first telling Frodo his concerns about the ring and then Frodo actually leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the wizard's advice, Frodo uh, plans to head towards Rivendell to the home of Elrond, who we'll meet later. Not today, but we'll meet <laughs> later. Um, yeah. on the, um, and then Frodo sells Bag End to the Sackville Bag Ends. Yeah. That's crazy. Not good. Um, and with the help of his friends Sam, Pippin, and Mary, Frodo packs up to move out in the autumn. Uh, and just before he leaves, he throws a small birthday party for himself and for Bilbo, who's not there. Um, and he invites Gandalf, but Gandalf does not show up, and he does not know where Gandalf is. Um, so Mary, along with another friend, uh, Fredegar Bulger, also known as Fatty, uh, go Fatty. on. A, yeah, they go on ahead to Frodo's new house across the Brandywine River to Buckland or in Buckland, uh, with a cart full of, of luggage. Um, so that's what all the hobbits and everybody think. Um, uh, Frodo is going to do is just leaving to go move to his new house in Buckland. Yeah. Um, so Frodo, Sam, and Pippin plan to follow on foot, uh, taking a few days and camping in the woods at night. And just as they are on their way, Frodo hears a strange voice talking to Sam's father, Ham Gamgee, also known as the Gaffer, um, and uh, their neighbors. So he hears them a little down the hill. Um, the voice asks for Mr. Baggins, uh, but the Gaffer responds that Mr. Baggins has already left. And Frodo feels that people are getting too inquisitive, and he decides to leave quiet, as quietly as possible. So on the second day out, uh, the hobbits hear the sound of hooves on the road behind them, and Frodo feels the desire to hide, uh, so he leads Sam and Pippin away into the trees. Um, the rider is a tall figure on a large black horse. He is covered with a black coat, and his face can't be seen. Um, and he stops near the spot where the hobbits are hiding and seems to sniff the air for a scent. He's uh, so Frodo feels the sudden desire to put on the ring. No, don't do uh, it. But he doesn't do it. Uh, then the, s- the rider suddenly rides off again. And then Sam lets Frodo know that um, it looks like the same uh, person who was questioning his dad, the gaffer, the other night. Sam's dad, the gaffer, the other night. 
And then, so then the hobbits proceed more cautiously, constantly listening for the sound of hooves. And as night falls, uh, they hear a horse approaching. And then, so they hide in the trees. Um, and they see that it is, again, the black rider. Yeah. Or a black rider. Yeah. Um, so the black rider stops and starts approaching Frodo. Uh, but then he suddenly hears the singing voices of elves. Uh, and he gets, gets back on his horse and gets out of there. Um and so then the elves approach, and their song ends, um, and one of them named Gildor meets Frodo, and Sam's super excited to meet the elves, and they're walking through the woods, and they're like glowing and mystical, and yeah. they're just elves. Just super cool. Yes. And when Pippin asks about the Black Riders, um, the elves suddenly look worried, and they take the hobbits under their protection for the night. So um, the elves obviously know what's going on um, uh, with or who the black riders are and uh the danger that they are um so later that night the party stops in what seems to be an enchanted glade and they have a feast frodo who who is known by the elves and who knows some of their language questions gildor about the black riders all the elf will say is that the riders are servants of the enemy and therefore must be avoided at all costs and then the party settles down to sleep for the night and that's the summary of chapter three yeah but there's a few points i wanted to make the first frodo uh throughout the chapter just takes his time uh he doesn't he takes his time leaving and then he also takes his time wandering through the woods Yeah, he's kind of procrastinating a little bit yeah so that just shows he doesn't realize the magnitude of yeah he doesn't the realize task. the danger yeah yeah um and then when the ring or when frodo first meets a black rider and the black rider is um approaching him Frodo has the desire to put the ring on and that's because um as we've talked about before in previous episodes um the ring has a will of its own and the ring wants to be found Mm -hmm. um so that could be the ring uh the desire to put on the ring could be the ring trying to show the black rider where it is so the black rider can get the ring um and then the last thing uh when um Gandalf or not Gandalf Gildor and Frodo meet um, he says, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, which is a famous quote. I yeah. don't know how to... S- do you know how to say it in Elvish? It's right here if you want to... Yeah. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Let me look it up real quick. Okay. Grant's... I can't speak Elvish. Or read um, Elvish. A Ellen star Sina shines... Lumen omen our meeting. Yeah, I could probably read it. I just got to look up the actual phrase. Yeah. I think I found it. Here he goes. Ellen Silla Lumen Omentialvo. Nice, Grant. Yep. Oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry, I meant to hit this one. My bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. That's cool. Yeah, so it's a it's a famous quote that comes out of the book, but uh, one interesting th- thing about it that comes out um, from one of the Tolkien's letters, um, it is letter... Uh, 205 which was written in 1958 which is a few years after the book was published um he wrote to his son that someone asked him what the lord of the rings was about and if it was an allegory and he explained to him that he was just trying to create a situation where that quote um a star shines on the hour of our meeting would be a common greeting that existed before the book Hmm. so interesting like um one of tolkien's goals was to write like the mythology of england yeah um and i don't i hate to say it, he failed with the quote because that's not a common 
thing people say and i wish it was yeah that's pretty cool but you know what there's still time everybody to uh we can use that yeah yeah, we can start using it so um we should start that at the start of our podcast i was i was reading the hobbit today too and i got to the part where they're like in the the eeries of the eagle Mm -hmm. the eagles Mm -hmm. and um and that that's like when they do like the eagle um like greeting or whatever like may the wind like go beneath your wings or something like that yeah pretty cool greetings i guess tolkien just was kind of a he's a bit of a nut for greetings yeah i bet he would be good (laughs) with writing greeting cards yeah he probably would be but yeah we should just make a line of tolkien greeting cards that's actually a good idea well we need to get the rights Mm. well yeah um let's just pretend we we could just change the quotes just a little yeah yeah (laughs) so technically we're not infringing on copyrights I like that idea. But yeah, so that's what I have for chapter three in the just little... Chapter three, three is company. Do you yep. think that's a coincidence? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Okay, so now we're moving on to the next chapter. Chapter four, a shortcut to mushrooms. Mushrooms. Mm. Good chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the hobbits wake up after their night with the elves to find that they have all gone already. Um, Frodo mentions his doubts about Sam tagging along. Uh, but Sam expresses he has a sense of purpose, like he must do something before the end, um, which a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, he, yeah, foreshadowing. He, he ends up doing a lot before. Oh, wait, <laughs> there we go. Oh my god, I'm sorry, I'm off it. I man. think the best part about the soundboard is it's just never, never right. Yeah, I'm never. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but, the best thing is that I'm not good at. It. Yeah, it's just it makes it funny though. Yeah, but yeah, Sam does. You know, he ends up doing something very incredible before the end. So it spoiler is, alert! It's good that Frodo didn't just say, "Yep, turn around, right turn around, now. man, get out of here." Yeah, but yeah, so Frodo plans on cutting across the countryside from Woodhall, um, which is like they stayed on that hillside with the elves overlooking Woodhall. Um, so he wanted to cut across the woods and the countryside from Woodhall to the Buckleberry Ferry, which goes across the Brandywine River, to get to the land where his house is, his new house. Uh, but Pippin suggests they should make for Stock, which is a little village, um, only for Frodo to realize he really just wanted to stop at the Golden Perch, which is an inn, um, because they have the best beer on mm-hmm. this side of the Shire. Uh, so then they end up just doing the shortcut and going through the rugged countryside, which is mostly just like brambles and thistles and bushes and stuff like that. So it's tough going, but you know, it'll be quicker in the long run and they'll be out of the way of the road Mm -hmm. where the black riders are following. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so the terrain is very difficult and they're nearly spotted by a black rider, but they managed to avoid it and they finished the night in celebration by drinking a strong drink that the elves left for them in their bottles. I believe it's called Miruvor. Nice. Um, my guess is it's probably just kind of like a, a whiskey or a liquor or yeah. something. Um, yeah, so their celebration is cut short, however, when they hear a shrill wail followed by an answering wail. They make off further down the country lane and discover that they have gone too deep into the farmlands of the East Farthing. What do you think those like shrill, like they're the black riders calling back and forth, obviously, but what do you think it sounds like? <laughs> well, my first thought is what it sounds like in the movies. Um, yeah. Just like that screeching sound. Yeah. But um, I think it could also be like a lower pitch, like spooky, like, well, whales are like screaming, but you could have like a whoo instead of a. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was that? <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> um, I always kind of thought it was more like high pitched, like, like, you know, like when elks bugle oh, yeah. or something like a loon. 
mm-hmm. making its call. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought it was kind of like a mixture of that where it's very like eerie and ethereal, but it's like um, just a little creepy, you know. Or maybe like um, coyotes at night. Oh, yeah. Coyotes at That'd night are spooky. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always it freaked me out a little bit when I was a kid because we lived in the middle of the woods growing up. And so mm-hmm. every once in a while there's like a field probably not 300 feet away from our house in the middle of the woods. Um, and they would always gather in that field like at night and they would just start yapping. Just talking. And it, yeah. And it, it scared me a little when I was a kid too, cause I'd wake up and I'd just hear like all this like screaming and howling and stuff. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what's it's going scary, on especially if you don't know what it is. Yeah. It's super scary. But yeah. And then once I learned it was coyotes, it was fine after that. No, was, no this is fine. It was kind of cool to listen to, but mm-hmm. it was also a little annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so they go into the farmlands. They're a little too deep into the farmlands of the East Farthing, though. They need to go a different way. But they come across a gate to a field that Pippin recognizes as Bamferlong. That's mm. kind of an interesting name. And it is the farm belonging to Farmer Maggot. Frodo becomes uneasy at the mention of the farmer, revealing he has been caught stealing mushrooms as a young hobbit. <laughs> and, yeah, and Maggot and his dogs scared him badly. Um, I guess mushrooms are a, well, I mean... I guess mushrooms are a delicacy on earth too, but yeah. mushrooms are a delicacy in the Shire. Um, I like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I'm, I like mushrooms. I like morale mushrooms. I like just, I guess the generic mushrooms you would get at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I go mushroom hunting sometimes. Yeah. In the woods, mostly yeah. just to look at them and see all the different kinds. But every once in a while we'll get mushrooms that we can actually eat. Yeah. I like looking at them and identifying them, but yeah. I'm not a big fan of eating them, which, yeah. you know, that's mostly me though. Yeah. Um, Grant eats them. Yeah, I look at them, but Grant still looks at them. You definitely have to, like, really, really make sure and double check, triple check that the mushroom is good. You know what? We're gonna cover cover our butts and say, don't eat mushrooms just, you find outside. Just don't eat them as a safe bet. Yeah, don't do yeah. it. But I mean, if you can find them and you know exactly what they are, they can be good. But remember, don't eat. But them. don't eat them. So. Yeah. So yeah, uh, hobbits really like mushrooms and he stole some mushrooms. Frodo did mm. as a young hobbit and maggot. Actually, I think it says in the book, uh, he beat him Ooh. Uh, and he set his dogs on him. So. Capital, is that <laughs> capital punishment or what's the, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was super frowned upon in the Shire. So, um, is it corporal or one of them is like knows, man. beating your kid and the other one is the death sentence. I think I'm just going <laughs> to Google it. That's crazy. Um, Oh, Let's see. Terminology. Corporal punishment. That's what beating is. Yeah. Um, Specific. Yeah. Corporal capital punishment. is. Swing. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, after going through the fields and then the dogs barking at them, uh, Farmer Maggot, he kind of realizes that it's Mary. Um mm-hmm. And so he pulled, or Pippin, sorry, because yeah. he recognizes Pippin as someone who hung out with Mary and he knew Mary. Um, they're tight. And so, yeah, so he brought the dogs back and their his dog's name are Grip, Fang, and Wolf. Oh! Cool names. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, they get invited inside for dinner because he realizes like, oh, I guess I know these guys. Um, mm-hmm. But he is especially curious that a Baggins is here. He explains that a stranger in black had just come through that day and was asking about Baggins. Uh, so Farmer Maggot was able to deter the stranger, and he would not give out any information on the Baggins. 
And Farmer Maga also correctly guesses, uh, very nearly, like not 100%, that his troubles, uh, Frodo's troubles, are all because of Bilbo, and that someone had finally come looking for their treasure that Bilbo had inadvertently taken. So he was pretty, pretty close. Yeah. I mean, technically he was close, or technically technically he was right on. Technically he was right on, yeah. But he just didn't know the specifics, I guess. This part of the book is something I wish they had in the movies. Yeah, me too. Because you only see Farmer Maggot's, uh, whatever that thing's called. That farming, that like hook thing. I don't know what that's called. You remember from the movies when he, he, they're just they're running out of the uh, field and you just see Farmer Maggot's whatever tool that is. I can't even think of what the tool. Oh, is like called. a hoe. Yeah, kind of like a hoe, but it's like that long thing they used to cut. Like, oh, scythe. Yeah, scythe. Yeah. You see that, and then they just run away, and then that's when they meet Marion Pippin. Yeah. But I want to see Farmer Maggot and the dogs. In the meal they have. Oh yeah, his scythe is poking up. Yeah. Over the. It's just like field. a shot of that, yeah. and it's like corn or something. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, yeah, so then Farmer Maggot, um, he kind of convince he or he he tries to convince Frodo to remain in Buckland, but he can already sense that Frodo has made up his mind about like moving on, you know, and going to Crick Hollow and stuff, and uh, so Farmer Maggot because Frodo's already made up his mind, he offers to take the hobbits by wagon to the ferry so they can at least be hidden while they travel there. Because there's all these black riders wandering about looking for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the rider, the rider, the ride to the ferry was tense, but uneventful. Nothing really happened. Um, But when they come close to the ferry, they hear hooves coming towards them in the dark. Uh, So they, they get a little, a little scared, you know, I would be too. Uh, but they soon find out it is Mary coming to check up on what was taking them so long. Mm-hmm. So they depart from Farmer Maggot and thank him, and they also receive a fresh bounty of mushrooms from the farmer's wife. Oh, nice. So very nice of her, and they get a little bit of mushrooms, and they make it to their destination of the ferry. Good for them. And get to move on. But we don't learn what happens until the next chapter, Ooh. chapter five, which will be in our next episode. Mm-hmm. Another deep dive. So Another deep dive. Let's... Let's focus on this deep dive, actually. Yeah. Um, we've got a few things we want to talk about. Um, none of them are, well, I guess they could be considered major. Um, but it's just kind of like a lot of little short things that we're going to be talking about. Just those deep dives. Yeah. So, Jay, why don't you start us off? With Ga- what Gandalf was doing. Yep. So, um, if you remember, Gandalf left after telling Frodo, hey, there's something going on with this ring. And he comes back and says, hey, this is the one ring. And you got to get out of here. But uh, it's not talked about in the book, um, at least in the the narrative part of it, of what Gandalf was actually doing when he left. So um, after he started to be suspicious about the ring um, and wanting to figure out where it was and who knew about it and if the enemy Sauron uh, was looking for it or knew about it... Um, so he wanted to find more out more about Gollum because he was a previous ring bearer. Gandalf had Aragorn uh, help capture him. Um, and uh, studying, and then he went to study the records in Minas Tirith, and he found a scroll, the scroll of Isildur, which uh, pieced together the missing history of the One Ring, um, which we talked about in the previous episode, and we have a whole uh, podcast episode on it. But basically, Isildur had the ring, loses it, and then... A long time later, Gollum gets it, and um, Gandalf was able to get the information of from the Scroll of Isildur about 
the ring passing down, and then he pieced it together. That then Gant, or Gollum picked it up and got it, and then that's how Bilbo got it. And then that's when he made the connection that this is the one ring that was cut off of Sauron's hand, uh, or that was taken off of Sauron's hand once it was cut off. Um, and then so then in the third age, thirty seventeen, on his way back to the Shire, he got word. Um, from the Wood Elves that Aragorn had finally captured Gollum. So he, then he went to uh, Mirkwood to meet him. Uh, and he interrogated him in order to verify what he ar- had already suspected. That it was the One Ring. And that uh, he that Gollum got it out of the river. Which was where uh, Isildur lost it. So far we know that Farmer Maggot and Gandalf are both one for one. Yeah. So that's good. Yes. So then great fear came over him when he learned that Gollum had been to the Tower of Baradur. Um, which he learned during his inter- interrogation of him. And Sauron had tortured Gollum and learned not only of the magic ring, um, but also of the names Shire and Baggins. Oof. So now Sauron knows that his one ring is out there and that uh, the only two things he has to go off of are Shire and Baggins, which is the name and the location. It's the name and the game. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Not good for Shire or Baggins. <laughs> um so Gandalf left Mirkwood, um, and then soon after left Gollum with the Wood Elves in the north in the north of Mirkwood, um, and then he has now returned um, to the Shire, certain that the Frodo's ring is not simply a ring of power, but it was the one ruling ring of Sauron. And so then, yeah, so pretty much while he was gone, and this you can find in the appendices, um, uh, so it's just skipped over in the book, but in the appendices you can see. Um, that when Gandalf left, he was, he had suspicions and he was studying the ring, um, and trying to figure out what it was. And that's why it takes so many years. It's not just like Gandalf Googles it. You can't, yeah. Gandalf can't no, Google there's it. No, hey, there's no <laughs> Google. There's no app for that. There's no, ins- no. Insta search. There's no interweb, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, all this stuff that you guys take for granted today. There's none of that. Back yeah. They then. didn't have any of that. Yeah. So Gandalf had to just go search for it. And then he was able to interrogate, Gollum. So Aragorn is already uh, playing a major role in the story, and we have we haven't even met him yet. Yeah. Spoiler: Aragorn's in the story. Oh my gosh! But yeah, so that's what I have for what Gandalf was doing when he left the Shire. We awesome, dude. Go to Grant. Yeah, just so you guys know, that's what Gandalf was doing. Yeah, just so you guys know. Yeah. What's Gandalf up to? Yeah. So, that. um, we probably want to know. I mean. Most of you guys already know who the Black Riders were, mm-hmm. but we probably want to know a little bit more about how they got all the way from Mordor to the Shire. Um, this is talked a lot about in the appendices of the Return of the King. And, um, well, I guess not a lot about it, but it's talked a lot about it in <laughs> the, um, what is it called? Unfinished Tales, yeah. The Hunt for the Ring, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, it, it does talk about in the appendices, but most of the information I got was out of Unfinished Tales. Anyways, so it kind of, like, details the whole journey of when Sauron learns from Gollum um, about the ring in Shire and Baggins, and then to when he sends out the, um, the Black Riders uh, to go looking for it. So... Um, yeah, so the Black Riders are the Nazgul, of course, the Ringwraiths, Sauron's most feared servants, bound to his will and the will of the Ring. Um, and they were sent out to hunt for the One Ring after Sauron had captured and tortured Gollum, like I said. The only problem is, Gollum didn't know the location of the Shire or where Baggins lived, and therefore, Sauron had nothing to go off of. Just 
Shire and Baggins. Yep. Like Jay was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, the Black Riders were sent up the Anduin to look for the Gladden Fields, um, the ancient homes of the Stores, who were Gollum's people, but they found nothing, and none of the Stores were there anymore. And Sauron was also beginning to get defensive, and he didn't want Sauron looking in that area too, because Sauron knew that's that that's where uh, Isildur lost the ring. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so the Black Riders rode to Isengard then and interrogated Saruman since he was kind of getting in their way. And the power of Saruman's voice was effective even against the ring rates. You know how he kind of does that at the end where he's yeah. like kind of defeated and he almost, uh, he almost, what would you say, manipulates Theoden and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Saruman. Even the Black Riders had to listen to him because his voice was powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, they were basically, I guess, gaslit <laughs> into mm-hmm. believing Saruman was a true ally of mm-hmm. Sauron. <laughs> Where is it? Wow. There we go. <laughs> nice. Um, I'll get back on it. Don't yeah, worry. and then Saruman said if he had the ring, he would have given it to Sauron already. So there's nothing, nothing to worry about here, mm-hmm. nothing to see here. I don't have any information on it. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, they leave Isengard, um, and they eventually find Grima Wormtongue traveling to Isengard. Um, we don't like him. Yeah. And Grima, he betrayed his master's alliance by revealing that Saruman knew all along where the Shire was. And then the Black Riders went north into Eriador and found the squint-eyed Southerner, who was mentioned in the chapter, like with Bree and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is an agent of Saruman, um, used for the Shire and Bree. And they used him for information since they figured out, yeah, he should probably know where the Shire is. So then, once they learn more about the exact location of the Shire from both Grima and the squint-eyed Southerner, um, some of the Black Riders reached the Sarn Ford, which is a little bit south of the Shire on the Brandywine River. And they drove away the small company of the Dunedain Rangers that are stationed there. And then five of the riders went to the east and guarded the passage of the Greenway, which is the main road that goes north-south, um, and it crosses right by Bree. Mm-hmm. And the remaining four riders, led by Kamul, the easterling, um, let's see, where did I leave off? <laughs> I get so far and then I forget where I am. Uh, led by Kamul, the easterling, entered the Shire and made it to Hobbiton and interrogated Hamfast Gamgee, a.k.a. Gaffer. Gaffer. Which is what we uh or what jay talked about in the summary of the the three's company chapter mm-hmm. um yes yeah, so they interrogate uh gaffer but gaffer of course is stubborn too so he kind of gets rid of them um and yeah that's the mysterious character gaffer was arguing with um and another rider made his way to Bamfrlong before the hobbits and questioned farmer maggot that's who farmer maggot was talking about Mm -hmm. after evading his answers the black rider turned away in anger and presumably rode off to join the others gathering at the greenway and brie um there were a total of four black riders in the shire when frodo sam and pippin were traveling through the countryside they encountered at least two of them and they heard them communicating frequently with one another those little shrieks Mm -hmm. back and forth colin yeah. They didn't really. They they didn't have any phones. <laughs> they didn't have any apps. They didn't have. They couldn't. They you know, couldn't. They couldn't email. Message. They couldn't kick. They Remember couldn't kick. They couldn't SMS text oh, message. Yeah. AOL. They that's older than us. They but. couldn't. They couldn't Yahoo email each other. <laughs> yeah. You know they couldn't MySpace chat or whatever you call it. You know they had to do good old yelling, good old wailing. They don't. They didn't have the Snapchats. Mm-mm. Right. 
They just mm. it was just good old classic you know, communication. Really? Ye- ah! just yelling yelling across the hills. Hey, hey, hey you hey do you see them yet? <laughs> do you find them? Hey, what's up? You up? <laughs> What if, like, <laughs> to normal people, you would just hear, like, the shrieking and stuff, mm-hmm. but then to them, what if that's what they sounded like to each other? Because they can understand each mm-hmm. other. Hey! Hey, what's going on? What? Have you found them yet? No, what about you? Well, I guess that was a dumb question. You just... <laughs> just keep, sorry, I didn't mean it, sir. <laughs> keep looking. Okay. <laughs> I'll look. I'll keep looking. I think that's what they sound like. Yeah. That sounds pretty funny to me, so I mm-hmm. think, yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah, that's the Black Riders, and that's kind of, they went um, at first up the Anduin, and then they went to Isengard, and then through Eriador, meeting some people along the way. Some of them went to Bree, and others went to the Shire, uh, four of them in total. Well, and then five yeah. went to Bree. Um, but, yeah, so Let's, there you go. One thing I found interesting about their whole storyline, um, mostly the start of it where, um, Sauron sends them out to find where the Shire is. Yeah. Um, because it's talked about in the story that um, the hobbits are just like a secluded folk and not very many people know about them and yeah. that um, that the Shire just isn't a well-known place. They just mm-hmm. stick they just stick together and don't really or they keep to themselves. And that's or at least for me I never like realized that because like the whole story, both Hobbit and Lord of the Rings take place or a Hobbit is in the story most of the time and it starts out in the Shire and everything. But when you realize that like Sauron, the big bad evil guy of the entire middle earth, um, or entire entirety of, well, he's, yeah, he has power in Arda. Um, all of Arda doesn't even know where the Shire is Yeah, and how, cause like, when you're reading it, it just starts in the Shire, and then all this stuff is happening in the Shire. You're like, oh, everybody knows where the Shire is. Yeah, right. But then even it's like it's surprising to other people, elves and men and stuff, that Gandalf even goes to the Shire. And some people yeah. just have forgotten about hobbits entirely. So it's yeah. just weird to think about the Sauron, Sauron, the big bad evil guy, yeah. doesn't even know where the Shire is. Like even in The Return of the King, like the the riders of Rohan and then like the people of Gondor and Minas Tirith, they're, they're like so surprised that they're like, oh, we thought like halflings were like legends of the north or something like that. We didn't know they were actually real. And like we, we thought their lands were like so far away or something like that, and it was just like a rumor of them. Yeah, but they're actually a lot closer than they realize. Yeah, because Gan- Gandalf has that whole thing where he goes and or he's talking to Frodo about I think it's Frodo or Bilbo, one of the two, about how he is um, knows a lot about Hobbit lore. Yeah, and it's like a very rare subject that not a lot of people know about, and yeah. he's like, "There's still a lot that I don't know," yeah. just because of I guess how they keep to themselves and how mm-hmm. air quotes insignificant they are in middle earth. Yeah. And it ends up being Sauron's downfall too. Yeah. Yeah. They're praying on his downfall. Yeah. That's so, what they were doing. <laughs> praying on his downfall. Wow. Yeah. Dude. But like in a good way. Wow. Dude. In a good way. Right. Yeah. It was a good wow. Dude. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's who the black riders were searching for Shire and Baggins. Mm-hmm. Uh, who were those wandering elves um, in the, in the woods of the Shire? Okay, yeah, so we meet Gildor. Gildor and Glorian is his full name. Honestly, I think he is one of my favorite elves. Um, I've probably talked about like one, like some of my favorite elves from like the first age when elves mm-hmm. obviously were more prominent and there were more of them. But I would say like as far as like second age and third age goes, I would say Gildor is one of my favorites. 
was that? I don't know why. Um, I think it, it, it seems like it's just because if you look at his name and his history, and you'll probably be able to tell us just a little bit about like, uh, maybe who he is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely has a very noble or he comes from a noble lineage and he's one of the high elves, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Of, you know, like the ages past. So it's like, he has like some sense of like, he's part of the history of middle earth from the first age and the second age. But then now he's just kind of stuck to wandering and he just wanders from the gray havens to Rivendell and wanders in the Shire and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like a little bit sad, you know, it, it's not like he's really fallen into disgrace, but it's just kind of fallen from highways mm-hmm. because you know, the elves aren't as prominent anymore and they're kind of fading. So it's just kind of a little sad, but it's also kind of, it's just kind of neat because you know, there's a ton of history about it, but you don't know anything about him. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think that's kind of why I like him. But yeah, there you go. That is interesting. I like that. Thanks for sharing. Grant. Yes. Um, so Gildor and Glorian, uh, he's a Noldoran elf, uh, from the house of Finrod, um, is, uh, what he says yes. and the theory a theory of why they're glowing because when uh oh the, yeah the yeah. hobbits see them and they're glowing and like all mystical one theory is that they're glowing because uh they had seen the light of the two trees right yeah um because i'll explain i'll go through it right now but um the uh Noldoran elves before the exile were exposed to the two trees the light yes. of the two trees yeah um and so then we can just assume that the rest of the elves are also Noldoran elves. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Noldor were the second uh, clan of elves who came to Amman. Um, and according to legend, the clan was founded by Tata. Tata. Tata, the second elf to awaken uh, Kuvien, Kuvien. Yeah. Um, I love I love the history of like the early, like before the first age, like all those elves and stuff and Kuvien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Kuvien. very, it's, it seems it's almost like basically for us, it's like our prehistory, you know, mm-hmm. like, like the Neanderthals or the cavemen or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it seems so long ago and you know so little about it, but it's just still so fascinating. Yeah. So I'm going to give like a quick overview of what happened, but if you do want it. more in depth, do it. Episode 30, 31 and 32, we'll go over the history of the elves and the different houses, Finrod, Finarfin and all those other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, those brothers. Yeah. So, um, this is just going to be a quick overview of, uh, what led up to, or why the why Gildor and his elves are wandering around? Um, but if you want more information on it, you can listen to those three episodes. So, like I said, the clan was founded by Tata, Tata. Um, and with him was his spouse Tate. Tatie. Tatie, sorry, my yeah. bad. And okay. uh, there are fifty-four companions, um, and uh, this clan became known as the Tatyar. Um, so Finway who was the first Nold- Noldor um, to come to Valinor with Orme, uh, became their king and led most of them to Valinor. Um, and then out of the original 56 Tatiar who wo- awoke, um, 26 or 28 remained um, in the place of their waking, becoming Avari, while the other original 28 of their offspring continued on their great journey. So they just kept going on. Yeah. So Melkor, who was a big bad guy before Sauron, um, had this whole thing where he was in fights against captured, but then yep, they yep, yep. they set him free, and then he began to stir in the hearts of the Noldor against the Valar, which the Valar. Um, I think we talked about a few episodes ago who the Valar are. Um, yeah, but they're I'm just sure like the, they're kind of like the gods of the. They're not the 
Eru Lutar's the like creator and god of yeah Arda, but these are like the lesser beings. They're I guess. they're more like um, elemental gods or like yeah yeah you know they're just like gods of like their own little power basically yeah. kind of like Greek gods yeah um, same idea um, and so Melkor lied to them saying that the Valar were afraid of the Noldor and uh, wished to have them remain there so middle earth to be ruled by men because the elves weren't in middle middle earth isn't the entire earth mm-hmm. there was a whole different area where the elves awoke and then the yeah. men awoke on in middle earth um so then um uh um because the, or melkor convinced him of this because he said the men were much easier for the valor to control yeah um and then he over time it took effect and after the darkening of valinor which is when the two trees were destroyed mm-hmm. which is w- maybe why they have the gl- why they're glowing um uh melkor killed finway um and Feanor rebelled against the valar and set out from amon with most of his fellow noldor um and his aim was to make war on melkor and the cover of the stolen silmarils mm-hmm. um and his hatred and pride were so great that he swore an oath to bound himself and his sons to destroy any who held them from their goal. So the Noldor were only allowed to return. So they were exiled and they left Amon yeah. and went to Middle-earth. And it was this whole thing. And that's when all those elves came. All the Noldor came. And like Gladriel's a Noldor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why she's on in Middle-earth. Um, yeah, and she's of the House of Finrod too. Yeah. Um, technically. Yes, and then so then the Noldor were only allowed to return back to the Blessed Realm following the War of the Wrath, which is uh, w- the war that ended the Second Age. Yeah, um, or First Age, sorry, ended the First Age, um, and so these elves are just some of the r- remaining elves from that were exiled um, with um, uh, Feanor and. Um, and they're just wandering around, and they say that they're making their return trip, but they're mostly just wandering around, and um, we don't really know what they're doing or why they're wandering around, but um, they're just wandering around. Yeah. But something interesting I found, I didn't know this before doing the research, but um, there is some debate on who Gildor actually is. Yeah. So, um uh, Gildor calls himself Gildor and Glorian of mm-hmm. the House of Finrod. And he also says, we are exiles and most of our kindred have long departed. And we are too, we too are only tarrying here for a while ere we return over the Great Sea. So that is just what I just explained. Going off of that, what I just explained, all that history is what would le- lead them up till now. Where they are at the point of the story. But at the time the Lord of the Rings was written the name Finrod still meant the character later known as Finarfin. Um, so if the house of Finrod is read to mean the house of Finarfin, uh, he can be placed, um, among the Noldor who joined the host of Finarfin during the exile. Yeah. And came to Beleriand under Finrod Felgund. Um, some argue that the name Inglorian, which means son of Inglor suggests that he was in fact, one of the sons of Finrod Felgund himself, who was at the time still called Inglor. Yeah. Um, but there's strong evidence against it. Um, in the Silmarillion, it is stated that Finrod had no wife since mm-hmm. he loved Amari. Yeah, and of, she stayed behind. Yeah, of the vineyard. She, yeah, like Grant said, she refused to go along on the exile. Um, and this means that he could have only been a son 
after he died. Or this means he could only have been a son after he died in Middle-earth and went to the halls of Mandos. Uh, talking about Finrod. Mm-hmm. Um, and he might have been resurrected by Mandos and then married Amari. Uh, it is very unlikely, uh, however, that he would be allowed to return to Middle-earth. Yeah. Um, the only such instance would be Glorfindel. And it's doubtful that if that was the case, there would even uh, there'd be no mention of it in Tolkien's writings. And right, then yeah. uh, Gildor would not describe himself as one of the exiles if that was the case because he would have been born after um, the exile happened. Yeah. Um, and then uh, lastly, it is said that there were only two children, Ildor, Ildril, Idril, and Oradreth in the third generation from Finway to go with the exiles. So this also suggests that while Gildor might have initially intended to be Felagun's son, uh, in the final version, he probably became a member of the House of Finrod as one of its servants, and not one of its not one of its sons. Yeah, like yeah. he could have been. Um, yeah, that theory that he is Finrod's son because he used to be called Inglor, and then he's called Gildor Inglorion, is pretty cool. But yeah, the evidence is pretty much against it. And then um, I do think he was a member of Finrod's house though when he ruled in uh Nargothrond yeah. in the first stage. I think he was more like a like like he was like one of the lords of Nargothrond or like one of the like chief counselors or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he was probably like um like who was the guy? Gwyndor, mm-hmm. right? Um who Turin Turambar finds and he brings um Turin back to Nargothrond. And then that's where Turin becomes one of the chief counselors of Oradreth, the second king of Nargothrond. So Gildor probably was another one of the chief counselors or something like that. So it's just kind of interesting to think about. He's, it like seems like he was a very noble elf at one point, but then now he's just an exile who's wandering until he goes over the sea. Yeah, that's one thing I like about Tolkien is this, not even, or the hobbits and uh, the characters that meet Gildor don't know really who Gildor is. Yeah, and there's a lot of history behind it. And yeah. even the readers don't know exactly who he is, mm-hmm. but there's enough like enough history behind it that you can make a bunch of different theories on who he actually is. Yeah, and I like it too because whenever Tolkien has elf characters, he makes it because obviously the elves are bound to the world and unless they go back over the sea they just live immortally on Middle-earth. And so it's like you have these elves who are, you know, consistent within the first, second, and third age, and even before the first age. Um, and sometimes even in the fourth age, like Celeborn remained into the fourth age just a little bit, and like mm-hmm. same as Arwen and stuff like that. And it's like you have these elves that are like alive for so many thousands of years, and it's like they just get like the further along they go, it just kind of gets sad because they start fading in power and they start fading in majesty. And then you've got all these like men and even dwarves and like hobbits and stuff. And they, they die quickly compared to the elves, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and you only get like mentions of them in history and you only get like brief, like accounts of their lives in like history, like the Kings of men or whatever. They only get like a little, like a little script of like they reigned for this long, but then the elves, they're still alive and they remember all that and all that sort of stuff. So it's just kind of a cool way that he displays immortality versus mortality yeah um, which is uh something the rings of power didn't do oh no <laughs> i wasn't le- i wasn't it. leading up to <laughs> that at all but it just reminded me of that how it made it, everything seem 
like it happened at one time instead of it yeah. happening over thousands of years. Uh, but yeah. So thanks you're, for sharing on Gildor. You want to go to an ad break? Yeah. Let's do it. We'll see you guys after the ad. Welcome back from the ad. Yes. Um, you just heard about Gildor. And now you're going to hear from Grant on our next little deep dive topic. Oh, whoops. I opened oh, it. Oh, no. I saw that happen. <laughs> he I, opened it, took the book mark out, and it, the page just folded back <laughs> yeah. over. Where's uh, he at? Yeah. So, you know, in the end of, or towards the end of the chapter three is company. Mm-hmm. And they're hanging out with the elves. Um, and they start pointing out different stars and constellations, right? Mm-hmm. I am always very interested into what the stars and the constellations are and like what they look like and stuff like that. Like even in um, uh, Narnia, like I can't remember what it is. Uh, I think it's Prince Caspian or something like that. I don't remember. But anyways, there's, you know, um, yeah, I think it's been Prince Caspian, but they talk about how like there's different like constellations in Narnia and stuff like that. And like there's the Mm -hmm. leopard and the sickle and the hammer and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting. I'm always like, Oh, I kind of wonder what those look like or if they are counterparts to anything we have, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so they do the same thing in middle earth. Tolkien loves stars. He always adds them in. They're very important to him in his mythology. You know, you got Elbereth, uh, Gilthoniel, who is basically Varda. Um, and she's the queen of stars, you know, and, there's also, um, you know, Aerendil, who becomes a star pretty much with the Silmaril. Um, so yeah, and so, Aerendil is a real star. They remember, yeah, yeah, thing or current event a while ago. They named a real star Aerendil. Mm-hmm. And then there's an, also an old English poem called uh, Aerendil or something like that, and it's about the dawn star, which is Venus, mm-hmm. um, and which is where Tolkien drew his inspiration from for his character Aerendil. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna just read the little passage from Three's Company. Um, it's at the very bottom of page 81. Uh, I always say that, but it's different in like every version. So in Grant's book, yeah, in my book, um, in the big deluxe edition illustrated one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Away high in the east swung Ramirath, the netted stars, and slowly above the mists, red Borgil rose, glowing like a jewel of fire. Then, by some shift of airs, all the mist was drawn away like a veil, and there leaned up, as he climbed over the rim of the world, the swordsman of the sky, Menel Vigor, with his shining belt. The elves all burst into song. Suddenly, under the trees, a fire sprang up with a red light. So it's just a little, like, section on the stars, and you don't really get a whole lot other than the mention of two different um, constellations and then a single star, mm-hmm. which is Ramirath, Borgil, and then Menel Vigor. So I want to talk about, well, I almost knocked over my coffee. (laughs) So I want to talk about some of those. Um, And I was thinking also this would be a good uh, um, episode topic is to talk about the stars and details because there's actually a lot more um, like stars and like like the different like, uh, I guess, aspects of the sky and stuff like that in Tolkien's mythology. So we're just going to talk about mostly what's mentioned here in Lord of the Rings or something you know, to do with Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so stars are very important, but they're really not mentioned unless it's referring to Elbereth or Aerendil. Um, and Gildor, he points out the many stars and constellations hanging over the Shire, and he names them. Um, 
Yeah, and stars are very important to the elves, especially because they're in the realm of Varda, Elbereth Gothoniel, who the elves love. Uh, so Menelvagor, also called Menel Makar, is the swordsman of the sky, and he came into view when the elves began to sing during the third chapter. Um, Telumetar was an older name for it, which signified the warrior in the sky, um, which would be our version of Orion. <coughs> so, and that's mm-hmm. why they, they, that's why in the book it's talks about his shining belt. It's Orion's mm-hmm. belt. Uh, the name Telumetar comes from the older legendary Mortalkus had a son named Telemectar, who later was converted into stars into the constellation of Orion. Um, kind of to guard against Melkor. So yeah. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've got Ramireth, meaning the netted stars. Uh, and it was also seen by the hobbits in the autumn sky of September. Um, in more technical terms, the Sindarin root words translate to a group of gems in a net. In our world, it would correlate to the open star cluster called Pleiades. <clears throat> I've never heard of that one before, but I looked it up and it's kind of cool. It's spelled P-L-E-I-A-D-E-S. Pleiades. Pleiades. Yeah, you guys can look that up on Google. It is really pretty, though. Mm -hmm. I'll show you. Oh, very pretty. It's like... like, It does look like a bunch of gems, like caught in a net or something like that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So I can see why Tolkien wanted to include it. But he also didn't really have any pictures to look at, you know, on Google. There was no app... Yeah, once There's again, no there was no Google. <laughs> Which means he must have like known about the constellation and often saw it um, through a telescope, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, while it isn't mentioned in The Hobbit, until The Hobbits reach Bree, um, there's also the Valkyrka, um, which is also another important constellation. It is named the Crown of the Valar, and it signaled the doom of Melkor. Mm. Um it was a group of seven bright stars arrayed in a curved manner so that the hobbits also called it the wane or the sickle or the plow. The plow in modern English folklore is another name for Ursa Major, the Big Dipper. Yeah, So um, classic constellation. Yeah, so the crown of the Valar is the Big Dipper, basically. Um, except they didn't, they didn't use the, um, like the bottom part of it where it kind of forms like the pot part, mm-hmm. you know? They mostly just use that curved part where it's like the handle. Um, is it the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper where the end of the handle is the North Star? I don't remember. I'll look it up. Okay. I know it's one of the two. Yeah. Um, Doran's Crown, another crown constellation of seven stars mentioned in The Lord of the Rings by Moria, um, is also thought to have been uh, like theorized that it's the same as Valakirka, the crown of Valar, but this is never confirmed. Although, I mean, seven stars makes the Doran's crown and then seven stars makes the crown of the Valar. It's pretty coincidental that both of them are like that, you know. So mm-hmm. it's the theory that Doran's crown and then the Valakirka are the same is pretty, I would say, pretty accurate, pretty correct. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the Little Dipper is the one that has a North Star. Ursa Minor. Ursa Minor. Minor. Yeah. The Widow Dippo. Widow Dippo. Um, in the no. earliest Wait. map, <laughs> yes, I would say yeah. In the earliest map that Tolkien drew for the Hobbit, he used a little picture of the constellation of the uh, Valakirka on the compass rose to indicate the north. That would be kind of cool. I mm-hmm. wish I wish he would have kept that for the Hobbit map. 
Um, and then also the other star mentioned in this chapter was bright red Borgiel. Um, and it was found near Menelvagor and Ramirath and was equivalent of either the star Betelgeuse or Aldebaran. Betelgeuse. Um, <laughs> though it is, it's spelled different than the actual Betelgeuse mm. character, though. Um, the argument for Aldebaran is stronger, according to Tolkien experts, who are also apparently star experts. Wow. Um, so I guess... Um, wait, wait, wait. Up. Is that saying Tolkien experts who are also star experts or that Tolkien ex- experts are star experts? Um, it was Tolkien experts who also happened to be star experts. Oh, that makes sense. Astrologers. Yeah. So, yeah. So they think that it's, it's Aldebaran. I think that I'm saying that right. But yeah, it's like a strong, like reddish orange star. Aldebaran? I barely know her. <laughs> that was a stretch. Yeah. Let me look up what Beetlejuice is. Wow, Beetlejuice. dude. Is it spelled like B-E-E-D-L-J-Y-U-C? No, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's okay. B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. So it looks Beetle really weird. Goose. Beetle, Beetle Goose. It looks like Beetle Goose. Beetle Goose. But it's Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Um, yeah, so those are the stars of the Lord of the Rings that we've seen so far. And like I said, I think we could probably do, it would might be a shorter episode, but we could probably do a whole episode on stars, constellations, and the heavens and the void and all the sort of like, I guess, like heavenly realm of Arda. Yeah. I think there's a lot we could cover. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so moving on into our last little topic here, um, not a very long one at all. But we're going to talk a little bit about Farmer Maggot because you know in the movies it didn't really, I, I don't really think it ever showed him. Yeah, we love other him. than his scythe, but he's a really cool character. Mm-hmm. Um, so Farmer Maggot was an older hobbit of the Marish, which is um, kind of like a marshy area by the Brandywine River, um, located in the East Farthing, and he owned a set of fields called Bamfurlong. Um, he lived close to the Brandywine River as well, and he was friendly with the Brandybuck family across the river. Um, Farmer Maggot, uh, we don't really know anything other than the name Farmer Maggot. There's not like a first name or anything. Um, Farmer. Yeah. <laughs> the name's Farmer. Uh, he kept three huge dogs, like I mentioned earlier, named Grip, Fang, and Wolf. And he kept them for protection due to the fact that he lived much nearer to the border than other hobbits. And strange things often happened at the border. Which, I mean, we found out with the Black Rider. But yeah. also, the Black Rider was everywhere else. So, But it um, had to come to the border first. Right, yeah. Uh, he had a wife, two sons, and three daughters, at least. We don't know how many he mm. had, but those Whoa. were what were present at the dinner. And he also had a handful of other hobbits who helped him with uh, tend his farms. Um, and they all lived in his house or the farm buildings around. Um. When Frodo was young and living in Brandy Hall with his relatives, he had traveled to Bamfurlong and he snuck into the mushroom fields to eat the famed crop of Mar- Farmer Maggot. Uh, Maggot finally caught him and beat him, and mm. he made his dogs chase him out. Uh, and after that, Frodo was afraid of the farmer and his dogs, um, kind of traumatized. Yeah, and, he's got trauma. Yeah, and though when the farmer heard that Frodo went to live in Bag End, the farmer admitted that he was worried for his well-being, believing the inner Shire folks to be strange. Mm-hmm. Um, the name maggot should not be thought as the English word maggot, which means larva or grub. Ew. But it is rather a nonsense hobbit name like Baggins. Uh, the similarity is purely coincidental. 
So yeah, mm. when you think maggot, just don't think the little grub. I always think the little grubs, but you know, yeah, I'll try to bad. change my ways. <clears throat> that's okay. Um, Tom Bombadil is known to have had contact with the Bucklanders and most of all, Farmer Maggot, to which nice. he may owe his jovial nature because apparently Farmer Maggot is very jolly. He considers Farmer Maggot the best of the hobbits in the Shire and a very wise hobbit indeed. So it's kind of, he's got a little bit of fame beyond Wait, the Shire. So you're saying Farmer Maggot gets his jolliness from Tom? No, Tom gets Tom his jolliness. Tom gets it yeah. from, well, yeah. that's interesting. Because they joke around a lot. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of trivia now that we okay. have finished. I, like I said, that was a pretty short topic, but yeah. just a little bit about Farmer Maggot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to start with some trivia? Sure, yeah. I'll start. Um, uh, I tried to make it easier to harder, but we'll see. Yeah. So what two hobbits go on ahead to Frodo's new house in Buckland? Uh, it's Fatty, I know, mm-hmm. and Mary. Yes, yeah. dude. Okay. Congratulations. I knew you would get fatty, but I was hoping you'd fatty. trip up on yeah. if it was Mary or Well, fatty. I did a little bit earlier when I was talking yeah. about Farmer Maggot, so mm-hmm. You know, um, I wasn't I wasn't hoping you I wasn't praying on your downfall. I was thanks. hoping you'd get I thought if the only way that he wouldn't get this is if he mixes up Fairy and Mary and Pippin. Yeah. <laughs> Mary and Pippin. Fairy and Pippin. Um what character oh actually let's do this one first. Um what was the real world counterpart to Menelvagor slash the Swordsman of the Sky? Orion. Yeah. Orion, dude. Oh, 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 oh Orion. Constellation. I, I was wondering if you were gonna yeah. say auto park or make something up. Uh okay, what do you got next? Okay. Um when the second black rider comes upon the hobbits and the in their and they're in the trees, uh what scares it off? Uh the elves singing. Yes. Yeah. Another cheer for me. Yeah. Three cheers for Grant. <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, how many Black Riders were actually in the Shire looking for Frodo? Foe. Foe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I guess only foe. Foe? I don't know. Foe? foe? I don't right. know. Maybe. Only foe? Foe? Yeah. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> it is four. Yeah. yeah Good dude. job. Woo-hoo! Yes. Four cheers for Jay. One. Two, three, four. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Okay. Wow, dude. Um, the last one. Who was the clan of the Noldor founded by? What was the name of the elf that the clan of the Noldor? Oh, was like old, by? old. Yes. Like old boy. Yeah. Tata. 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 Let me see those tatas. Watch your profanity. <laughs> Tata. Swing. Nice, Grant. Ta-ta. Three, four, three. Ta-ta. 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 <laughs> um, what character outside of the Shire knows of Farmer Maggot? Outside of the Shire. Is it Tom Bombadil? Yeah. Is he outside the Shire? Yeah. Nice, dude. Yeah. Woo! I was... Um, um, usually when we go through the episodes, I try to think... When you talk about your stuff, I try to be like, oh, I'm going to try to remember this so that... Because he, he'll probably... Give yeah. this true question. The one thing that I picked out this episode that I for sure thought you were going to do is what was the inn that uh, Pippin wanted to stop at for the drinks? Oh, the, the golden, golden perch. perch. I was like, I have to remember the golden we perch. We talked about that last uh, episode. I think yeah. we talked about the golden perch a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> That's was, okay, though. It was all for naught. Yeah. Uh, we got a current event. We do? Yeah. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I hit the right one this time. <laughs> nice. Bang, bang, bang. Boom, boom, boom. 
Yeah. Hello, everybody, uh, and what? Oh, I didn't. I thought you were just gonna go, Rachel. I just gotta do the intro. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> yep, I got it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Middle Earth Current Events, which are current events on this Earth pertaining to Middle Earth. Bing, bang, boom. You got it. Uh, it's Grant Mulder in the room. Um, <laughs> nice, dude. That was X-Men, really yeah. good. So uh, recently, this article was 23 hours old. Um, I, I saw this on recording. Yeah, I saw this uh, on a Facebook page. And then Jay and I were talking about current events. And we we're like, oh, I don't really have anything. And then I was like, oh, I guess I do have something because I mm-hmm. just saw it on Facebook. A miracle. Yeah. So this is what it is. I'll read the article for you. It this is, is on. Is. This is on. I don't even know what this is on. Yeah, <laughs> it's on The Independent, which the I think is a UK uh, yeah. article website. Where Tolkien's from. Um, yeah. Um, I've heard some interesting things about The Independent, but I won't go into that. Well, um, I haven't. Okay. So tell me right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, keep, it's mostly political. I don't keep much up on uh, UK politics. tabloid, <laughs> yeah. politic tabloids, uh, tabloid politics. Did you support Brexit or not? <laughs> I don't know enough about it, man. <laughs> I'm just here in America. Uh, um, the Royal Mint, which is mm. also sick, sick name, The Royal Mint. Mm-hmm. has launched a two um, i believe that symbol is pound it's not euro for sure it's like the little backwards l with the line through it yeah i think that's pound we're just americans yeah the royal mint has launched a two pound and, and not two pound as in like that's how heavy it is <laughs> <laughs> i think the people i know it's okay Grant. a two pound collectible coin to commemorate the life and work of the lord of the rings author J.R.R. tolkien Nice, dude. It features Tolkien's monogram at the center, appropriately encircled by a ring of intricate runic patterns inspired by the writer's love of Anglo-Saxon scripts. Around the edge, inscribed in capitals, are the words, Not all those who wander are lost. A quote from the poem, The Riddle of Strider and the Fellowship of the Ring, the first volume from the writer's famous fantasy novel set in Middle-earth. The coin, which is part of the Royal Mint's 2023 annual set of commemorative coins, is now available to purchase individually and is being released to mark 50 years since Tolkien's death. It is crazy, though. He died in 73, and it's 2023. Yeah. That's wild. Um, some some 24,500 fans and coin collectors have already registered their interest. Designer David Lawrence said, J.R.R. Tolkien's monogram is an elegant creation, a mysterious symbol, riddlant? Riddlant? <laughs> I don't know what that word is. Redolent? R-E-D-O-L-E-N-T, whatever. It's a mysterious symbol redolent of alchemical signs and magical scripts. It has also has a certain gravitas. I quickly saw that this had to be the central to the it had to be central to the design. Um, <clears throat> something ring-like and circular was obviously needed to contain and frame the monogram. Rebecca Morgan, director of commemorative coin at the Royal Mint, said, as one of the most eagerly anticipated collectible coin launches of the year, they also released, I think, a Queen Elizabeth commemorative coin as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We are delighted to be launching an official two-pound coin honoring and celebrating the life and work of the author. She added, our master craftspeople have worked carefully to create a coin, which is a testament to arguably one of the best and greatest authors, poets, scholars, and philologists in our history. Tolkien wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings series and also worked as a poet, philologist, and academic during his lifetime. He died on September 2nd, 1973. Oh, that's very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> where it's 1973 right now, actually. Um, oh, wow. 
Because that's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, no. Uh, the Lord of the Rings has been translated into nearly 40 languages and is one of the best-selling books of all time, with more than 100 million copies sold. It was also adapted into a film trilogy directed by Peter Jackson. The two-pound coin is available as, as a brilliant uncirculated for 12 pounds, as well as a gold-proof coin costing 1,250 pounds, a silver-proof for 77.50 pounds, and a Piedfurt proof silver for 127.50 pounds. As in like 0. 0.50. Mm-hmm. Um, from news to politics, travel to sport, culture to climate, The <laughs> Independent has a host of free newsletters to suit your interests. That's just a little thing at the bottom. Anyways, so yeah, it's a commemorative collectible coin. Um, there's the back of it. You can see that. That's cool. It is pretty sweet. Are you going to try to get it? Um, I would like to, at least even if it's just the cheaper one. I feel yeah. like they would have more of the cheaper one. I'm not going to buy the silver or gold one. <laughs> yeah, the one that costs... Well, I don't know how much that would be in U.S. dollars, but the 1000 I don't even have any pounds, dude. <sighs> I, only have, I only have U.S. dollars. But it would be really cool. I mean, because it's like 12 pounds in the U.K. What's the what's the exchange rate? I'm doing it to right yeah. now. Pounds um, to USD. One point two one pound is one point two eight US dollars. So one thousand pounds is one thousand two hundred and seventy six dollars and forty cents. What about twelve pounds? Twelve pounds would be fifteen dollars and thirty two cents. Oh yeah, so that's not that bad. That's reasonable. Yeah, I well, would... if you think about tech, can you? I wonder if you can use these as actual pounds. Like if you could buy stuff with them because then you're spending fifteen dollars you're Just spending two twelve pound. pounds for two pounds so you're losing ten dollars <laughs> that's crazy so technically it's a dumb investment yeah bad investment guys don't <laughs> do it i kind of want to get it it looks really cool though Especially if you guys look it up if you spend the thousand whatever thousand whatever it is you're, you're spending, losing so much money. you're losing so much money guys yeah. this may sound like a cool thing guys but in the long run you're losing a lot of money unless the pound shoots way up and two pounds now next year will equal one thousand pounds then you have a chance to make your money back. But I'm yeah. sorry, guys. But, uh, I got to say it. I'm not investing in this. <laughs> but I think I'd probably at least get the the, the cheapest one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just looks so cool. I It would just be cool to have it um, mm-hmm. just as like a little collectible. Um, I'm all about collectibles. That's what he does. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the movie collectibles. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'd rather just get don't things lie. that are like, I don't know, what would you say? Like... Um, I guess as far as the movie collectibles go, I would get like swords and like I have the one ring. I don't have like a very like expensive one ring. It's just like a cheap one off of Amazon, but it's still kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, or like, you know, like the little um, necklace that Arwen has that like little elvish thing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but like I like the collectibles where it's like. Uh, what am I even trying to say? Like old like letters or like, you know, like that coin or something like that. Because I don't know when it would that be cons- that would be like memorabilia. And yeah. The yeah. Would I guess be like so. Merchandise. Yeah. yeah so it's more memorabilia than merchandise. Yeah, I like I guess. that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For um, sure. And then I also have like a little concept discussion mm. to go over. Interesting. I saw this on a Facebook post in one of the Lord of the Rings uh, groups that I'm a part of. Um, the question was um, or at least this person said here. Actually, I think I have. I have my phone right here. Let me look this up. Good talk. Just talk a little bit. Talk talk amongst yourselves. Um. Yeah. So, well, Grant's pulling that up. I'll just give you a sneak peek of the next um. Uh, episode. We're doing Lord of the Rings, chapter five and six. Um. Let me look up what the titles are. 
Um, and I hope you've been keeping up with us because if you haven't, then it's just a chapter a week. Yeah. So, yeah. So we do two chapters, but we release um, every two weeks. So chapter five, a conspiracy unmasked, which is, which is a good one. Um, they make it to, I, they don't make it to Bree yet, but they make it to Gan or Frodo's house. And then chapter six, the old forest spooky. So we got, spooky. we got two good chapters coming up. And um, if you stuck through, if you stick through this week, stuck through this week and stick through next week, uh, then we start getting into the action of the fellowship coming together and everything. So just stick with it, guys. If you uh, are a little feel like you're just being dragged through the walking chapters, yeah. But here comes Grant back again. Here I am. So this is from um, the wonderful, wonderful world of Middle Earth Facebook page. let me know if we've talked about this already, too. I okay. can't remember. Um, I'll cut you off. This is the post. I'm not going to say the guy who posted it, just for, you know. Um, this is the post. I kind of wish Bard the Bowman was a main character in Lord of the Rings. Aragorn is amazing, but he comes from a line of people who defied Sauron. Bard was a random skilled archer with a good heart who killed a dragon to protect his people. Something kind of inspiring about a guy just facing death because it's the right thing to do. No lineage bullcrap, no destined battle. In the grand scheme of Middle-earth, Bard was a nobody, but he killed a dragon robbing Sauron of a potential ally, participated in a battle that prevented Sauron from gaining lordship over Erebor, and more. I wish Tolkien would have written him into the main plot in some way. I know his death is in the appendices, but it's cool to, it'd be cool to see an alternate universe where Tolkien wrote him in. So, I guess, um, in an alternate universe where Bard wasn't, like, 80. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, Bard actually, is, like, much older. He's <laughs> he just a regular guy. He's yeah. not, uh, like, Aragorn. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, in a, in a if he was alive during the Lord of the Rings, which he wouldn't have been, he was, like, way over 100. Mm-hmm. If he was alive, but he died much earlier. Mm-hmm. If he was in, and let's just say in the alternate universe, he was, I guess, the age he was in The Hobbit or something like that, would you, do you think he would have made a better character or main character or like destined king character than Aragorn? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think because he mentioned the uh, the family history and all that, and that, so I think the difference between if you just take the archetype of the bowman and then Argon's just like a range like this ranger yeah. guy. Yeah. Um the thing that sets him apart is um Argorn with his family history and the kingship and everything, he has motivation to do all the stuff that he's doing and um uh fight for the ring or kill Sauron and yeah. uh lead in battle and save his people and then become king which Bard doesn't have, other than if it was just to do the right thing, he doesn't have that, um, the, uh, uh, he doesn't really like, have a sense of like, he doesn't he does, have a reason. Yeah. He doesn't really have a huge reason. He doesn't stand to gain a lot from it mm-hmm. other than like, are we saying he's already King or that he is going to be King? I feel like it would be the same situation where he's going to be King. So he's just a, gotcha. like, just a, because then that would also mean um, the like, whole thing of Argorn slowly taking, be, becoming more of like a king, and then at the and then leading the at the final battle, being like a leader. Yeah. I don't think it would be as impactful because Bard is just 
I mean, it would still be impactful, I guess, but Bard would just start as, like, a lowly man and then turns into a king. But, like, yeah, Aragorn is, like, fulfilling his destiny when he's becoming a king. And yeah. So that's... I feel like he just has more of, like, a... His backstory makes more sense with that character arc. Yeah. The... The whole idea of Bard becoming a king just of Dale after defeating Sauron is just mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, okay, I guess everyone has to go back to their own ways and figure everything out for themselves. But then Aragorn becoming a king of Gondor in the reunited kingdom, then he's able to like help everyone out and like bring everyone back together. Mm-hmm. And, and whether you think so or not, the family history part is super important, especially to Tolkien. That's why he writes it in. Is because it's very important to him, mm-hmm. and then, um, I mean, you get things like, like the part of the Lord of the Rings where when Aragorn looks into the Palantir and he shows himself to Sauron, and Sauron freaks out because he's like, the heir of Isildur is here, mm-hmm. and so that's why he prematurely attacks Minas Tirith because he's like, the heir is here, and I really have to take down Minas Tirith before he gets to me, you know, mm-hmm. and so. Bard wouldn't have been able to look into the Palantir and show himself. And also if he would have, you know, Sauron would have been like, okay, who are you? You <laughs> Who's know, this guy, and it wouldn't have made Sauron prematurely attack, which would have not have given Gondor or Rohan the chance to win. You know, it was mm-hmm. because Sauron prematurely attacked that he missed the Corsairs being taken over by Aragorn in the South. And he, you know, he missed this whole thing and he was, uh, tragically undermined because of his premature and desperate attack. And if he didn't, and if he would have just held out a little longer and built up his armies a little bit more and waited for the reinforcements from Umbar, then uh, it would have been over for Gondor. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, I mean, it was important that Bard did kill the dragon. You know, Smaug in the north, and so that Sauron didn't have Smaug as an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, really, that only affected the north. And there is the part, too, where Gandalf says, like, when you remember the war in Gondor, just remember the war that was fought in the north in Dale and Erebor, because without them, there could have been dragon fire and goblin swords in uh, Eriador and no princess of Gondor. You know, Arwen mm-hmm. could have been killed, which is, yeah, that is huge. That it's, it's important, and it definitely plays. There's definitely two parts to the story, but I think Bard had already played his part, you know, yeah. and I think that was really the only part for Bard to play. I don't think there was anything more for him to do, you know? Yeah, and if... So if it was Bard um, and not Aragorn, um, then uh, the whole storyline story of the kings and then leading up to Isildur and then him ultimately failing to destroy the ring and yeah. uh, the kingdom falling, then that would have just been the end of it and it would have left off there. But Ar- Aragorn has this whole like character development of coming into his own at and coming into his or fulfilling his destiny and uh bringing that line of kings back to yeah. like a good fulfilling yeah. what they weren't able to do yeah yeah and also if you think about it too the argument he makes where bard is basically just a nobody and it would have been make maybe more impactful that some nobody defeated sauron mm-hmm. um that archetype is already in there with Frodo and the hobbits. You know, they're basically nobodies. They're insignificant. Sauron's hardly ever heard of them. He didn't know about them until Gollum. And now all of a sudden they're the bane of his existence. That's Mm -hmm. already played out. So basically it would just be putting Bard in and getting rid of Frodo and the hobbits and Aragorn. 
And yeah, if at the end if he becomes king, if like if instead of just becoming king of Dale, he became like king of Gondor and everything. Yeah. It wouldn't the people wouldn't have been as impacted by it because it would have just been this random guy coming instead of the cho like the one guy they've been waiting for that the, right, the prophecies yeah. have been speaking of. It would have it would have been like it would have been like going trick or treating for Halloween and expecting a huge bounty of candy, but instead you get like a toothbrush and like a few yeah. like you know just celery. Yeah, a, a cake pop. Yeah, and you're like, oh, hey, cake pops are good though. Yeah, but that's not what you want. But for there Halloween. are no Aragorns. Yeah. You want Snickers and Reese's peanut butter cups and M and M's and Skittles. What's your favorite candy? Halloween candy, or just candy in general? Um, <laughs> kissing. Oh, kisses! Kisses are good. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite Halloween candy, or did you say candy in general? Yeah. Uh, it's got a. Re- I don't know. It's either M and M's or Reese's. Like really, anything Reese's. Oh, nice. But if I'm going to stick with Reese's, because I love peanut butter and chocolate Hey, speaking of that, shout out to Reese. Shout out to Schwing. Reese. Hey. Schwing. Double swing for Reese. Double swing for Reese. Hey. Um, we're going to swing it your way, Reese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, if we're just going to go with Reese's like brand, because I love chocolate and peanut butter together, mm-hmm. I would have to say um the reese's like sticks it's like these little wafers it's kind of like a nutty bar or whatever they're called from little debbie but they're like thinner and like more airy and they're really yummy (laughs) it's like um like a kit kat sort of but not as crunchy oh okay yeah um but then also i love Mm m&ms but then there are the peanut butter i was gonna say do you like peanut butter i like peanut m&ms and peanut butter m&ms the best those are my favorite ones but they also not too long ago they came out with crunchy cookie m&ms and those are super good nice um so yeah i could buy myself like a family size bag of m&ms and just eat them dude you could but should you no they do not make me feel good they do not yeah um Try frozen peanut butter M and M's. If you guys like peanut butter M and M's, try them frozen. Oh, I've heard of frozen Super Reese's, good. but frozen Reese's are also really Reese's. good. Also, yeah. you know what Reese told me? What did Reese say? And Davis, my younger brother, Reese and Davis, what they um, say? Um, if you put Swiss rolls, like those Swiss cake rolls, uh-huh. in the freezer, they taste immaculate. And I did mm. try a frozen Swiss roll, and it's amazing. I'll have to try it. Yeah. I don't know what it is about freezing crappy junk food and candy. It's just cold. But it's so good. Kills the calories, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's good in the summertime, just like a little frozen little frozen treat. It's like a know? popsicle that, I mean, I guess you can chew popsicles. A chocolate <laughs> popsicle. Like fudgesicle. That's, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that was that little concept discussion. It was guys. interesting. Yeah. Um, what are you reading? Are you reading the same things? Actually, no. I finished two books. Nice. Um, finished Don Quixote. Yep. Very good book. The Donkey. Yeah. The Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Um, yeah. It was good, as always. Same ending as right. last time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not a choose-your-own-adventure. No. Okay. Yeah. It's funny, dude. It's a funny book. Yeah. I really like it. And it's... Um, they've probably made... There's probably a bunch of different movie adaptations about it, but I feel like... Yeah. I feel like with, that kind of ruin it. Well, with I feel like with um, I don't know if the comedy would lend itself to a movie, but oh. I feel like the concept of it's kind of like the same cons, like Monty Python in the Holy Search of the Holy Grail, just like yeah, dumb knights and stuff yeah, like that. It's yeah. kind of like that, but I feel like it could be a funny movie, but I don't know if 
they've had to have tried it because the book's been around a long time and everybody knows about it but you don't know if anyone would be able to actually capture it yeah because of the i feel like a lot of the comedy is like internal we're like oh the character this is what don quixote is thinking right and you can't really do that in a movie just you have to have the characters just say it out loud which wouldn't be as funny yeah um but yeah it's a really good book really funny there are don quixote movies okay I'll have to check some out. Yeah. From the library. I'm just kidding. One of them is called Man of La Mancha. Yeah, that's what he's from. He's from La Mancha in Spain. Yeah. La Mancha. Don Quixote, the Knight of the Rueful Countenance. Nice. Which just means he has an ugly looking face. Yeah. He's just an ugly. <laughs> just ugly an ugly dude. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I finished that. So I'm reading. Oh, and then I also finished the To Jerusalem and Back. Yeah. Um, which was good, but you know, I'm not really into the. Um, it was just like his account of yeah, what he did. but it yeah. it was a lot of like uh, Israeli and U.S. relations from the seventies, so yeah. like not super interesting yeah. at least for me. If you're into that, listen to it or yeah. read it or listen yeah. to it. Um, but yeah, so I finished those. So I started a book called The Complete Angler by nice. Isaac Watson, which nice. is like the super old book about uh, fly fishing. Nice. Um, it's pretty. It's like a discourse, so it's like kind of like like the old philosophy books where it's like people talking to each other yeah so it's it's and it's like it's translated into like newer english it's not like actual it's kind of like middle english i guess not old english yeah when Um, was it first written 1600s or 1700s i can't remember it's one of those 200s that's kind of cool. one of the hundreds but it's really good yeah and it's interesting um but it's very like posh and highbrow yeah which um I don't know. I feel like fishing's fishing, man. But first published in 1653. Oh, dang, dude! Yeah, long time ago. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's really good so far, and it's just interesting. That is really cool. What about you, Grant? Um, and we're both reading Walden. Still. Yes, Walden. We are almost done with the Walden part, the Walden Pond part. Mm-hmm. I think we've got spring and then the conclusion chapters to go. Yes, and then after is that, it? after that, it's like. I think like economical and political writing, which will still be interesting, but mm-hmm. I feel like the Walden Pond part would probably be. Are we best. gonna go through the whole book? Wait, in your in your copy is Walden the first thing? Yeah. Okay. Walden's the second to last thing in mine, so I'll have to figure out what's the next one in yours, so then I can go back around to it. Oh right, yeah. Because in, in my edition, Walden it's Or we could just do Walden and be done with it and then we can just read the other stuff at our own pace. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll keep you guys updated. Yeah. Um, okay, here's what I'm reading. You already, me- you already mentioned one of them today when you said, oh, the oh I, re- I read yeah. this today. Yeah. The Hobbit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was I reading that last time? No, we did. You were finishing I was up finishing on Tales. Tales. Okay. Yeah. I'm reading the Hobbit now. I am on, um, queer lodgings mm. right now. That chapter. Ooh. Good chapter. Yeah, it is a good chapter though. I love Bjorn as a character. Um, I was cool. going to ask when you were talking about Farmer Maggot's, um, feast, um, or dinner that he he had with his family in the hobbits. Yeah. I was going to ask you this, but I thought, oh, it's a dumb question. He's obviously going to choose the latter. Would you rather be at Farmer Maggot's feast or Bjorn's feast? And probably Bjorn's feast. Yeah, yeah, that's why I did not ask the question. Also, like, the way they describe his, like, property and everything like that, it's really cool because he's got, like, this oak forest and, like, all these, like, clover gardens where all of his bees go. Mm-hmm. And then he's got, like, the oak trees, like, the old oak trees and then, the like, the big hedge and then his 
gate and then his like it's like a u-shaped building and then Mm -hmm. he's got like gardens out back behind his house and there's the fire in the middle of the hall it feels very cool Mm -hmm. and he's got walking horse horses walking around that look like they can talk that's cool i don't know about that part but it's just they look like they what is it they look that's what it says in the book they look like they can talk that's interesting i wonder what the difference is they have actual lips yeah like human yeah not human tongue they've got lipstick on Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm reading The Hobbit. I'm also reading And of Wendy Poplar still. I haven't really mm-hmm. gotten around to that in a second just because. And of Green Gables. Yeah. I'm literally reading four books right now. So four books. I'm just kind of trying to juggle them all. But I kind of enjoy reading all four at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes um, I like reading books. It depends on. Don Quixote was nice because it was short chapters. So I could just yeah. go back and forth. But if it's longer chapters, it's kind of hard to go back and forth between books because I like to finish chapters and not like stop in between yeah chapters endings yeah i kind of like it though because all of the books are like just a little different Mm -hmm. but they all like influence my imagination when i'm reading each one you know like walden is very like um it's basically just like a journal almost and Mm -hmm. then and of when and of windy poplars is a you know it's a fictional uh account of this girl's like day-to-day life basically Mm -hmm. and like at this point in her life, she's a teacher at a high school. Um, and then the Hobbit obviously is like a big fairy tale and it's just a classic, you know? And mm-hmm. then there's the other book I'm reading called the Mabinogion. I was, I was going to ask you, I talked about, you. I talked about that last episode, but I don't think I had started reading it yet. I think mm-hmm. I was supposed to be getting it the following day, like the day after we recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I have it now and I've been reading it a little bit and there's like, there's quite a few stories in it and they're all fairly short. And the first four chapters of the book are called the first four branches of the Mabinogion. And it follows this kind of one family of these like princes or Kings in Wales specifically in, um, I'm probably going to butcher the names, uh, do it. The kingdom of Anu, Anu, Anuven. Anuven or something i don't know it's hard Just kidding i can't pronounce them it yeah some of the names are hard and i i looked up the pronunciation of some of them but it's kind of hard to nail down if you're not a native speaker if you're welsh uh send us emails voice recordings of you saying those words yeah there's there's poes poes there's gwened gwened um those are like different kingdoms uh yeah it's kind of hard but it's it's basically, 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 you do that every once in a while. <laughs> I, I love that, dude. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I basically. basically, um, it's basically just like a collection of Welsh folk tales and legends and, you know, mythology a little bit, mm. but it's, it's really, it's, it is very interesting. So I'm still on the fourth, like I'm almost done with the fourth branch of the Mabinogion or actually, no, I think I just finished it, uh, the other day. And so now I'll be starting on the other different stories of the Mabinogion. Uh, nice. It is really cool, though. I mm-hmm. I enjoy it a lot. Um, the part I just read is about this wizard named Math, and he turned these two people that were kind of messing with him, he turned them into animals, like a few different types of animals, and he made them mate with each other. <laughs> mm. It was very interesting. Wow, and dude. they came back in a year. <laughs> they came back in a year like every time he turned them into a different animal they would come back within a year and they would have a, a son 
like an, an animal form. And mm-hmm. then the wizard would turn the su- the son into a human form and then adopt the son as his own. And then um, he would turn the two guys again into different animals and then force them to go back and mate in the wild. So it was very weird. Hey, times were different back times then. Times were different. Then, but different then, times. Yeah, but then he ended up with like four different adopted sons through that, which is kind of interesting. But it's a it's a good read, you know. It's, yeah. a, it's a weird fairy tale legend book, and I, I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's what I'm reading. Nice, Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's all we got. Unless you had anything else. Yeah, that's all we got. That's all we got, dude. So, you know, that's oh. all we got. Mm, yeah. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for listening to Thanks for listening. Exploring Middle Earth. Remember to read chapters 5 and 6. There we you go. better do it. Bye. We'll see you guys later.